This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week, broadcaster MediaWorks launched a new radio network, and it's the company's third attempt to take on its commercial and non-commercial rivals in talk radio. This new brand made bold promises of a new approach. We're not here to judge or take sides. We want to debate, and we're not afraid to admit when we've got it wrong, when we've changed our minds, or when we just can't quite decide. But is it an upgrade on the sort of stuff that we've heard before? What do you make of it? Uh, very quickly, mandates have got to go. Also, new TV channels emerged this week. We'll look at those. But first, this week, key COVID countermeasures were canned by our government after a chorus of complaint from commentators in our media. It is the view of our public health officials that we can safely increase these gathering limits indoors to 200 without having a significant impact on our health system and hospitalisations, especially given we'll maintain our seated and separated rules for hospitality. That was Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern on Wednesday with some good news for those eager for COVID restrictions to ease. All this can be now done safely, said Jacinda Ardern, because we're heading past the peak of Omicron. But as Hayden Donnell now reports, plenty of people who we've heard from in the media lately didn't want to wait for that. Yeah, I've got a pretty simple position on this, actually. It's called open the hell up. Open this country the hell up and get a move on. That's News Hub's Patrick Gower on Tuesday, echoing what's been a consistent call from some quarters over the last two years. Though the government's conservative COVID strategy has proved popular, it's always had loud detractors in the media, with commentators and business leaders combining to call it draconian overreach that's killing the economy. Here's Mike Hosking in the first week of the Level 4 lockdown that he had previously campaigned for in early 2020. Every year, heart disease claims 6,000 lives, one every 90 minutes. We're not crashing the economy for that. Overall, we had over 33,000 deaths a year. By the way, those deaths that year were the highest rate in 25 years. You won't remember the alarm because there wasn't any. Hoskins' claim that clamping down on COVID is destroying the economy has since been backed by an armada of bosses and business representatives in the media. This is Glenfield Mall owner Dallas Pendergrass calling for an earlier end to lockdown restrictions on retailers in late April 2020. So, yes, they want to be open. Nobody can understand why they can't be open. And um, and it, it just seems to me prolonging the agony and making it yeah. ten times worse for them all. As COVID cases returned to zero, Flight Centre Chief Executive Graham Turner was among those calling for New Zealand to open up its borders and learn to live with the virus in order to keep our economy running. The virus is going to be endemic and some people are going to die from it. Um, just like uh, in Australia, I don't know about New Zealand exact numbers, but in Australia about 2,000 people on a normal year die from the flu. Thousands of people die in road accidents. I know in the United States... Hundreds of thousands of people die from smoking. So it's just another one of those minor risk factors in the country that we've got to learn to live with. This strain of commentary has been pervasive even as the country has abandoned elimination. Here's Northland Chamber of Commerce Chief Executive Steve Smith talking to RNZ's Checkpoint about the region remaining in the red traffic light setting over summer due to its low vaccination rates. Have we not done enough? Yeah, can we not just please get on with things? In recent months, these commentators and business leaders have got most of what they always wanted. Traffic light settings have eased. Lockdowns are a fading memory. Shops are open and the border is following suit. 
Indoor gathering limits have just been increased from 100 to 200, which is still a significant imposition if you're into nightclubbing, church going, or both. But the vaccinated can visit as many bars, cafes, and car dealerships as they want, provided they mask up and scan in. From April 4, the country's relatively small number of unvaccinated will be able to do the same without even scanning. Predictably, as these freedoms have built up, so has the country's number of COVID cases. We are, as many have proposed, living with the virus. But so far, that hasn't provided the economic boost some expected. A story from last weekend's edition of the Sunday Star Times reported that spending in Auckland's city centre was down 63% on two years ago, with Heart of the City Chief Executive and mayoral candidate Viv Beck saying that businesses had just endured their worst week outside of Level 4 lockdown in March 2020. Stuff's report also described parts of Wellington as a ghost town and noted that 40% of Canterbury businesses are adopting flexible work practices to deal with COVID isolation rules. Meanwhile, the Herald warned that if Wellingtonians don't, quote, snap out of their self-imposed mini-lockdowns, there won't be much left of the city as we know it to come back to. None of this came as a surprise to newsroom's Mark Dalder, who has monitored how people in other countries have responded to their own COVID outbreaks. He's been a critic of the idea that more freedom always equals better business. Regardless of whether you have government restrictions or not, the fact that there's a pandemic on will depress business activity. People won't want to go out if they think they might catch a virus and they might not be able to go out because they are currently sick with the virus. I think there's been a sort of very concerted effort in the media or a narrative maybe uh, to say, once we get rid of restrictions, things can go back to normal. But it's never been about the restrictions. It's always been about the fact that there is a pandemic on and that that's not something that any government can do anything about. You know, that was the magic of the elimination strategy is we actually kind of got to live like there wasn't a pandemic on for an extra 18 months. You know, that's come to an end and, and we're now just with the rest of the world in terms of having to deal with the new normal stuff that might have been sustainable in a, in a pre-COVID world might not be anymore. Should we have been able to predict that maybe fewer restrictions wouldn't necessarily be the panacea that we thought it would be? It was totally predictable. And, and in fact, from data that sort of compares New Zealand to overseas, the, the Google mobility data is a really good example of, of tracking how many people are going out to retail and recreation compared to pre-pandemic. And even now in Wellington and Auckland, those levels are, are much, much higher than places like New York City or London or other cities around the world where, A, they're not in the peak of an outbreak anymore while we still are. And, and B, they have, in many cases, fewer or no restrictions whatsoever. But still, you know, that economic activity is just way, way down. If you look at the complaints about Wellington in particular that were happening last week, that was the peak of the outbreak in Wellington. You know, 5% of the entire population of Capital Coast DHB was an active case, which means they had to legally stay at home. And many of those people have had household contacts who had to stay home too. So putting aside even people who didn't want to go out, a large chunk of people couldn't go out whatsoever because, you know, they were sick with a, a pandemic virus. This is what retail is really kind of chafing at, and hospitality is chafing at the same way. You don't stay at home waiting to get sick from the flu. Sure, maybe you'd have slightly more customers coming in uh, to your cafe if people who were cases or people who were contacts could come in. But then your staff might get infected or you might get infected and then actually the whole thing has to shut down. Do you think that business leaders, commentators, section of the commentary class have failed to really consider the downside risks like that, the costs in terms of 
widespread COVID infection of opening up. Yes. So there's been a failure to understand what the counterfactual would be. People have been comparing it to periods of level four and level one, and understandably that that the message that sends is restrictions are the problem. But either way, there's a pandemic. And so actually restrictions make people feel safer to go out, reduces the number of cases, which also makes people feel safer, and make sure that actually your business, uh, your staff, and, and you yourself don't get sick so you can keep operating. So there's been a total failure of, of imagination and understanding of what the actual choices are or were in front of us. You know, a sizable proportion of the population is vulnerable to severe disease from COVID, and those people are going to make their own decisions regardless of what the government tells them is safe. You know, we have the situation where for the first two years of the pandemic, um, the government has made restrictions around what is safe. Now they're making restrictions and designing policies around what allows businesses to operate while also keeping the health system standing. You know, many businesses have been pushing for this for two years to now say, hang on, we've given everyone the right to choose what they'd like to do. And now they're not choosing what we'd want them to choose. That's unfair. Well, no, actually, that's just to a certain extent, that welcome to free market capitalism. People will make their own decisions. And in this case, people are deciding not to go eat out when there's a pandemic. It was always going to be, well, hang on, there's a pandemic. I'm going to do things a bit differently. And, and somehow people have conflated living with COVID with living like it's 2019, and it was never going to be that way. Many business lobbyists and commentators reject the argument Mark Dalda was making there. After the government's Wednesday announcement on further easing COVID restrictions, Hospitality NZ Chief Executive Julie White put out a statement calling the indoor limit of 200 people a nonsense. Restaurant owner Krishna Bodhika said the pain won't stop for hospitality until rules around seated service and physical distancing are gone too. Meanwhile, others have denounced messaging aimed at stopping people catching COVID. Viv Beck has pinned the current retail downturn partly on the psychic damage inflicted by the colour of our traffic light setting. Here's what she had to say to stuff. Red symbolises stop. The customers aren't here. They're staying away because they have to isolate or they're fearful of going out. This is a lockdown in all but name. In an interview with Duncan Garner on Today FM, Canterbury Chamber of Commerce Chief Executive Leanne Watson and Auckland Business Chamber Chief Executive Michael Barnett echoed that message, urging the government to abandon cautious messaging and replace it with calls to go out and enjoy life. Where's the freedom? Do you, th- do you feel like we've been shafted in that sense? I think if you take Leanne's message where, you know, we need a better narrative or we need a change in the narrative, it's been about red light, it's been about stop, it's been about hesitancy and fear, and we need to change that narrative now. So allowing greater res- personal responsibility is a part of that. But do these business spokespeople actually represent the position of most businesses? Are there at least a few business owners who see not only a safety, but potentially a commercial benefit in retaining at least some COVID restrictions while an outbreak is on? Rebecca Smith, co-owner of the award-winning restaurant Casador, has more nuanced views than some of her peers and says she doesn't see her stance reflected much in the media. There are... Lots of business groups and lobbies that advocate for abandoning safety measures and essentially opening up. I mean, our industry has been changed by COVID and I'm just starting to accept back to normal is not going to happen for us. We need advocacy to consider things like 
liquor licensing, rates payments, more support with sick pay, assistance with ventilation, factors that will influence our ability to trade through the new normal. And I think that's the voice that's missing from lobby groups. I think the focus on opening up doesn't necessarily consider the wider view of our industry. Do you think there's almost an element of magical thinking from some elements of the commentary that if we just remove the restrictions, things will go back to normal? Yeah, like it's implied that if restriction stops, the pandemic ends. People can go out right now, but many just don't want to. Even though this strain is less severe than previous strains, I'm not sure that it's the restrictions that are stopping people from being in restaurants and bars right now. Are there actually some economic arguments for keeping some safety restrictions as annoying and inconvenient as they are? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the majority of our guests ask to dine outdoors, but the weather is changing. And now with indoor environments being open to unvaccinated guests, I expect to see some people will be less likely to go out. And I also wonder how our staff might feel about working in an environment where there is less protection. But then I also appreciate that there are some businesses in our sector, those with larger venues who cater to a a younger, perhaps less risk-averse clientele. This will be really welcome news and, uh, you know, they'll they'll be celebrating this. But just by removing restrictions uh, doesn't mean that the threat is over. And, yes, for some people it will be a deterrent. That was Rebecca Smith, co-owner of Cazador Restaurant in Auckland, talking to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell about loud calls in the media from advocates of opening up the economy. And earlier he spoke to Mark Dalder, senior reporter for newsroom.co.nz and the author of an article this week headlined Welcome to Living with COVID, in which he argued that the problem is the pandemic itself, not pandemic restrictions. Today FM, beginning transmission in five, four, three, two, one. That was how MediaWorks brand new talk radio station Today FM launched at 5am last Monday with the voice of Paul Henry. These days, Paul Henry is a resident of Palm Springs in California, though it sounded like he'd phoned in that launch day countdown from Cape Canaveral, and he went on to set the scene for the new radio network like this. It's been a brutal couple of years. A worldwide pandemic. New Zealand will go into lockdown. Global uncertainty. Bashing Hillary Clinton, the media... The country literally divided. Well, today this country is indeed quite literally divided by Cook Strait and Fovo Strait, though that's not what Paul Henry was hinting at darkly there. A clash of beliefs. I'm not vaccinated. It's not going to make any difference. Fano split on what's right and what's not. The only reason they live is because of vaccinations. Politics and science merging into a confusing muddle. But Paul Henry said, with the aid of a suddenly much more soothing soundtrack, Today FM was here to help. We don't have to work it out alone. News that moves us forward. A bold claim there, so what did listeners get when Today FM went live last Monday? Well, first up at 5am was First Light, a crack of dawn news and business show hosted by Rachel Smalley, whose last gig was a similar slot at the rival station News Talk ZB four years ago. And last Monday, she forgot for a moment she had a new employer. 
News Talk ZB, 24 minutes to six. Uh, feel free to get in touch with me, Rachel, at todayfm.com. In fact, she began by bouncing off something that had already been aired on News Talk ZB the day before. Now, you may have seen over the weekend, Jacinda Ardern gave an interview on a lifestyle show, actually, but she said, I do wish that we could have come through these latter stages bringing more people with us. And, of course, she was talking about our COVID response. So... After First Light was the self-titled breakfast show of Tova O'Brien, someone not about to forget that she'd switched employers to be there. Her former employer at NewsHub enforced a restraint of trade clause which delayed the launch of the entire Today FM network until this week. Tova O'Brien also had her own mission statement for her listeners. We're not here to judge or take sides. We want to debate and we're not afraid to admit when we've got it wrong, when we've changed our minds or when we just can't quite decide. And they were also out to create a headline or two if possible and who better for that as first guest on day one than the politician whose need for exposure over decades has created a weird codependency that evidently still has suction in parts of the media. You've told my producer that you don't want to talk about Tauranga and whether you'll stand in the by-election. Is that because you haven't decided yet whether you want to stand? Um, look, you have a lovely day. No, but Mr. <laughs> Peter, Mr. Peters, are you going to stand in the Tauranga by-election? I'm taking that silence. I'm taking that silence as Winston Peters hanging up on me. That gave Today FM a mini controversy in its first morning on the air. Though she didn't bring up the screenshot Winston Peters shared on social media soon after his on-air hang-up, which showed that the show's producer had agreed not to ask about the Tauranga by-election. Tova O'Brien did eventually address that for her listeners on the air the following day. I'm not a fan of politicians dictating what they will and will not talk about. Now there it was clear that the team at the Tova show did agree to conditions that Tova O'Brien herself said she couldn't and didn't abide by and that was not made clear to Winston Peters or the show's producer on that day. Now in acknowledging that, Tova O'Brien also made this point about the expectations of political accountability. If you want to run the country to be paid by us to do so, to work in our interests, you have to expect to be held accountable and asked about all sorts. While she was at it, Tova O'Brien went on to complain about the Prime Minister's office also seeking to limit the range of topics up for interview. It speaks to a politician's determination to keep a stranglehold on the narrative. Governments... Ministers, MPs, politicians, inside and outside Parliament should be able to talk about all sorts, to defend their decisions and policies, to parry various debates, and if they don't want to talk about something, they should just say so. Be up front, say it to everyone's faces, rather than than trying to strong-arm the narrative. And few would argue that politicians ought to be up for questions on matters of public interest, but the narrative that Tova O'Brien referred to there really is in the media's hands in these cases, especially with a Prime Minister who, unlike other ministers or spokespeople with defined areas of responsibility, can be asked questions about absolutely anything in a live interview. Now, Also in her debut show's first half hour, Tova O'Brien had a fascinating but brief interview with the former press secretary for the embattled Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky and Lulia Mendel gave Tova O'Brien a comprehensive rundown after that on the invasion of Ukraine. In fact, it was a bit more comprehensive than Tova O'Brien was expecting with the news coming up. And just we quickly, that, um, just quickly earlier, if, um, well. sorry to interrupt, but just quickly, you've worked closely with President Zelensky. He's seeking direct negotiations with Vladimir Putin, who's so far refusing. What, what would President Zelensky be taking to the table to try to end this? President Zelensky tried uh, uh, to make Vladimir Putin to talk directly. And we understand that the position... The sound of New Zealand. White baiting at the Moko River, Taranaki. 
Now, peace in Ukraine in a hurry seems about as likely as seeing Palm Springs resident Paul Henry white-baiting in Taranaki any time soon. And this was one of the problems with Today FM at launch. The talk, when it was good, was punctuated by unnecessary and distracting stings, idents, promos and trailers, and news headlines that were read far too frequently. Though it's understandable they want to establish the identity of a brand new brand with the first listeners, and these are just wrinkles that are easily ironed out, and the Tova Show team clearly work hard to produce and gather original news and comment rather than simply chuck its big-name host in a series of phone calls on the air. One example of that was an interview with the lawyer of Marina Ovsianikova, the dissenting journalist at Russia's TV Channel 1, who famously ambushed her own news show with a no-war and anti-propaganda message last week. And that interview was translated by a Russian-speaking producer, and few other local news shows you think would be able to manage that, if any. She is in a safe. She managed to return home finally to rejoin her family and her children. Also after seven on Monday, Tover O'Brien grilled Andrew Little on the health system's worries and National Party leader Chris Luxon turned up to say, unprompted, that vaccine mandates were past their use-by date. And after that, Tova O'Brien reminded Christopher Luxon that he used to be a lot tougher on people who didn't vaccinate. Do you still want that, sanctions on beneficiaries who don't vaccinate their kids? No, I think what you're confusing is the, the day I was selected as a candidate, I was, I was, I was about was measles. You. Yeah, no, I, I mis, as I said at the time, like I completely misread our policy on that and I was brand new, made a mistake, apologise for that. After that, former Prime Ministers Helen Clark and John Key joined in to respond to all of that, just like it was 2008 all over again, Tova O'Brien joked. And rounding off a packed first hour, the station got a bonus from the guy who won the show's first daily quiz question cash prize. Oh, it was a good move catching Hoskins this morning, wasn't it? Oh! And while that listener got lucky, Today FM got an unexpected bonus of its own on Monday, the heaviest downpour ever recorded in its main market of Auckland, which caused rain fade to knock out breakfast TV shows via satellite for a bit, and even a lightning strike on the Sky Tower that knocked out some FM radio signals... Though, weirdly, the chaos caused by what Niwa called Auckland's wettest hour on record hardly featured in today's own news bulletins that morning, though downpours in the East Cape on Tuesday and Wednesday were well covered. Now, other features of the Tova O'Brien show included a daily Tareo vocab slot and a fact-checking feature on, wouldn't you know it on day one, vaccine mandates. Many of the world's developed countries still have some kind of vaccine mandate in place, but few are as strict as New Zealand's. It's the Today FM Fact Checker. Fact Checker. Fact Checker. But the Tova Show isn't all killer, no filler. In the last hour of the programme, they have a daily debate among themselves, and it goes on a bit. Great debates, guys, but I'm going with Mark. I say yes, yes for Carlos. <laughs> and while they seem to enjoy it, they may just have overestimated their listeners' appetite for chatting among themselves. It'll be interesting to see if they stick with that feature, and the comedy bits they do at the end of the show, which on launch day was a producer singing Bowie's China Girl song, imitating Simon Bridges. I hear that one stern might do the boy election. Please do not vote for him. I don't know anything about that country. Now after that, whatever that was... Tova O'Brien handed over to another former News Hub political editor, Duncan Garner, for the 9 to noon slot. Duncan Garner told his listeners we all need a new approach to big issues. You start conversations here that can end up being constructive, that, that do help others, and that find solutions as well. I don't think we've done that well. We need to do it better. 
but the need for better conversations scarcely squared with his monologues in which he answered his own questions, just like the late News Talk ZB stalwart Paul Holmes used to do for years, years ago. Question. Are we at the stage of this pandemic now that we can say with confidence the worst is behind us and we can see the home straight? Answer. No. But so much of what followed was the same sort of bluster and strident personal opinions that Duncan Garner's been serving up in recent years. On day one, for example, on Today FM, he insisted that the government was to blame for the protest at Parliament. That's what's happened with that protest. People lost patience. They no longer believed them. That's what Jacinda Ardern was saying over the weekend when she said, oh, I regret we didn't take more New Zealanders with us. I bet you do. And comments like this one were designed surely just to rack up the audience. Yeah, they've saved lives, but they were never ready. Uh, were they? They don't listen. And predictably, that brought out the anti-vax callers who plagued MediaWorks' previous station, Magic Talk. I say drop the mandates. What do you say? Oh, I'm all, all for it. Mandates, vaccine passes, open up the borders, get us back to normal and live our lives the way we want to live them, not the way the government wants us to live them. Yeah, it's unnecessary restriction now. Um, I can't see the reason why we'd be restricted in anything because we're, we're all vaccinated, largely. So there's, uh, a, there's I'm not. No, but, but, but well, you're not at all? And Duncan Garner went on on Monday to reinforce his casual criticism of the government's COVID response with some illogical arguments. $60 billion is 60 times Pharmac's annual budget for cancer drugs. Can you imagine if we had a war on cancer of $60 billion rather than a war on this virus? Which almost doesn't warrant this massive spend, does it? Because you won't spend $60 billion again on any other health matter. No way. Only a pandemic. More people die of cancer. Well, Duncan Garner answered his own question there, really, with the word pandemic. You don't catch cancer from other people, and if COVID was not a highly contagious virus, well, it wouldn't be so costly to fight. And as he must know, most of the tens of billions spent went on the economic response to COVID's disruption, not the health response. But it seems on Monday, Duncan Garner was just warming up. While the Prime Minister was still announcing the changes to the COVID controls on Wednesday, Duncan Garner was telling his listeners this about the COVID response. I always feel like it's a big hoax. It almost feels like we've been played. We've been played. And boy, if I'd known that, I would have protested. And soon after, Duncan Garner and one of his callers were saying COVID was just the flu and airing scepticism and actual misinformation about boosters. Hey, I haven't had my booster yet. Should I have my booster? Well, I haven't had mine either. I've had two injections, but mm. I haven't had my booster, and I've held back on that. Mm. Are we and naughty? Are we naughty for that? I don't think so, because we are concerned about having it. So am I. You know, I know a lot of people that have had issues with their hearts through having those injections, and I heard that the next injection, the booster, is actually stronger than the last two. Who knows? I mean, this is well, the truth is that the booster dose is not stronger than the previous jabs, and it's highly unlikely that that caller really does know people with heart trouble caused by the jab. It also jarred ludicrously with the station's own messaging in the very next ad break on Duncan Garner's show. Today FM, with some information to make you smarter. On Today FM, Duncan Garner hands over at midday to his former sidekick on the AM show, Mark Richardson, alongside a survivor from the old Magic Talk network, Leah Parnipa. But we still seem to make decisions based on Baker and Co.'s worst-case scenarios. And after Mark Richardson called COVID deaths collateral damage, they got a stream of calls from the unvaxxed with anecdotes to share as well, like this one, who claimed an unvaxxed acquaintance was refused cancer treatment. 
And so that, that's that's a lot of uh, collateral damage in between uh, the legislation and, and, the, and the wrongs or the rights of it. Yep, I get you, James. I hear it. That is not a nice story at all. But was it a true one? There's been no reliable evidence that cancer treatment has been curtailed by the pandemic other than short-term disruptions in the early parts of the Level 4 lockdowns in 2020. But having heard that and other yarns on Today FM, someone else got in touch to say this. This is for you, Mark. You must know the reason the Health Department has done all the mask vaccines and mandates is purely so our hospitals can cope with so many cases. A friend who works in a hospital says every COVID case in ICU are unvaccinated. So it's purely so they can cope and to save lives. And we've done a good job. And very quickly, currently have an 11-week pregnant wife at home who is on her 10th day of COVID and can't stay awake for more than five hours. I've never seen her so crook. Don't tell me this is a common cold. God, that bugs me. No, it's serious. It's serious, but it's not everyone like that. Serious. Thank you so much, guys, for your company on our first day. Will only get better? Well, let's hope so. As we heard there, Today FM's new Tova show offers sound news and production effort and a little less of the host's own opinions, and it is a genuine alternative in the mornings. Today FM's non-primetime shows, hosted by the likes of Graham Hill, are engaging in also newer voices like Dave Latelli and Nixon Clark at Variety, and they've gone to the effort of creating some really good and varied podcasts as well, which aren't easy to make. But there's still a surfeit of off-the-cuff opinions that contradict the pre-launch claim of Today FM's boss that it would seek not to exploit anger and hot-button issues and that do little to live up to this on Today FM's launch on Monday. A station that believes in fairness, accountability and truth. And a station that wants to help understand all perspectives and not jump to conclusions. We won't get it right all the time, but we can't get it wrong if we do it together. The same day that MediaWorks launched Today FM, last Monday, rival broadcast company Discovery, which bought MediaWorks TV channels last year, launched two new local free-to-air TV channels. One of them is an outdoorsy, adventury and fairly blokey channel called Rush. And the other is a lifestyle home and garden and hobbies-focused one called Eden. Be entertained. The chase is on. Be informed. Be inspired. I think it was 15% more attractive. But as with Today FM, it's also a case of what the broadcaster gives, it also takes away. These channels replace the free-to-air channel Choice TV, which has plugged away for years with some interesting shows that went under the radar of most commentators and, to be fair, most viewers. Choice was set up locally a decade ago and then sold quietly to a Canadian company, which was in turn acquired by global behemoth Discovery even before it moved into the free-to-air TV business here last year in a big way. And the Eden channel also elbows out the existing lifestyle TV channel, 3Life. Now some of the same US and UK made shows from those channels will also screen on the new ones. But there are new programs too from Discovery's global network, such as Treetop Cat Rescue and Alaskan Truck People. And there's also the Shatner Project, starring the aging main man from Star Trek, fixing up his house. William Shatner and HGTV boldly go where no home improvement show has ever gone before. Here's Billy! Inside Shatner's space. The final frontier. Now, most of these shows are really just filling up the airtime, in the case of Eden, in daily repeating five-hour blocks. But there are highlights. 
Eden, for example, has a drama night each Thursday, and media fans will enjoy the new Aussie series, The Newsreader, starring Anna Torv, which is set in a cutthroat 1980s Australian TV newsroom. Right now, our thoughts must be with those children tonight. And another innovation on Eden is its own actual news show, a half-hour News Hub Live bulletin at 8pm each weeknight. Tonight, the flood-stricken East Coast is bracing for another... And News Hub Live at 8 isn't just a tightened-up boil-down of what was on News Hub at 6 earlier in the evening. On its first outing, it followed up Michael Morris' scoop on Sky City Casino failing to address problem gambling with a live interview with the Internal Affairs Minister. Uh, that is... Just, as I say, very, very distressing, and I would expect us to be doing better than that. Both Rush and Eden are on Freeview and Sky, and they can also be streamed alongside its main channels, 3 and Bravo, on the 3 Now On Demand platform. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back again with more on the media in Midweek Media Watch at about 10.30 next Wednesday night, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend, here on RNZ National.